of the Traveling Entertainer Podcast. Though today's guest is none other than Opie Ortiz, lead singer from the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, all-around artist, songwriter, and entertainer. If you don't know who Opie is, he was originally part of the Sublime crew, primarily acting as their artist for concert flyers, silkscreen images, all-around go-to guy for whatever art they needed. That son from the 40 Ounce of Freedom record... That's Opie's art. The sublime tattoo on Bradley Noel's back. Yep, that's Opie as well. And all the other artwork from the Long Beach Dub All-Stars and pretty much everything that Sublime ever did, he was involved with. For those that don't know, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars started their career from the ashes of the key players from Sublime and went on to release two records via the DreamWorks record label. The first record was called Right Back, released in 1999, and they followed that up with Wonders of the World in 2001. However, after a few years of touring, the band essentially broke up. Opie continued on with his musical project, Dove Cat, which featured many members of the Long Beach Dub All-Stars crew, but after a very long hiatus, the four key players of the Long Beach Dub All-Stars are back and have just released a fantastic new record self-titled as the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, which you can purchase by heading over to lbdamusic.com, and you can stream it pretty much anywhere you get your music from. This was such a great interview for me as I'm clearly a huge fan of the Long Beach Dub All-Stars and Opie's work in general, and he's just the easiest guy to talk to and has some very interesting and honest stories to tell. With that said, let's cut to the chase and get down to business on the Traveling Entertainer Podcast, so without further ado, here is the one and only Opie Ortiz. since it came out non-stop, and I'm just so excited to have the opportunity to speak to you. How are you doing today? Oh, nice. I'm great. Yeah, so where, uh, I always like to get an idea of where guest is. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm on, like, the outskirts of Long Beach, Lakewood area. How long have you been there for? Um, Probably about four or five years. Is there a reason why you moved out there? You're married and kids and all that, right? Yeah. Um, well, I was living down in like, uh, down closer towards the beach area and, um, just kind of like moved there for the school that was right next to my house for my kids. They were a lot younger then and, um, lived there for like seven years and then, uh, it was really nice, really nice area, but just kind of wanted a yard and no driveway and a little more space for the kids and for the family. So we moved a little bit out towards the suburbia area. 
Right. Well, kids will do that to you. I got a couple of them, and we've done the opposite. Though we've actually downsized. So I'm calling you from Paris, and uh, you know I grew up in the Bay Area, moved to Seattle for sort of high school and college years, and uh, we've been downsizing. Like we went from buying a house to building a bigger house to moving to Paris, and now there's four of us under what would be considered about 800 square feet in a small apartment in the heart of Paris. So I've missed the yard. Wow. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell yeah. you. Going through the whole COVID thing was not a fun time when you're in a small place like that. So be thankful yeah. you got that space because, man, those kids need it. Yeah, our backyard kind of became like a little resort, you know, with a little pool and a little, like, uh, awning and all that, you know. Well, uh, you know, the whole point of this podcast is talk to artists about touring the world, about traveling the world, uh, see how it might have changed their life. And I feel like you're such an interesting subject to talk to because – you started out at a very young age and kind of massive success at a very early age and the band and the music has continued on and I'm so proud of what you just put out. I mean, I, I really think this record is fan-fucking-tastic. Where exactly, starting from where you are now, but where did you grow up? Are you, have you always been a California kid? <clears throat> yeah, I've been like uh, SoCal like my whole life. Long Beach, uh, L.A. area. When was the first time? Now, I know, I know you probably had this question about your sublime time what i wanted to know more about is regardless of the artist side uh what you contributed to were you ever actually touring with sublime when they were playing or was your involvement strictly on the artist side um yeah i was like mainly like their homie in the beginning when they they were like kind of just going through the beginning phases of like a band like and i was just like the homeboy who did art so when they started to build some popularity, like around the local scene in Long Beach, I was like, oh, because I was in the printing, uh, silks printing t shirts. I was like, oh, you guys need a t shirt. So we printed up t shirts and stuff. And I just kind of was like there a lot, you know, when they were playing local shows. And I would go with them sometimes. Like we went to uh, the river one time when they played for Sigma Chi. I'm like, fraternity from college fraternity and a couple other occasions i would you know roll out with them just naming like a good friend and the artist you know i kind of view you as just a highly creative person and it seems like you've you know you've got your uh, traditional artistry if you will you've got your tattoo art and you're also clearly a musician or an entertainer not to put a label on yourself but if you had to to put a label on you which one would you say you are I don't know, like, right now, I'm an artist, like a, a painter and a, a tattooer, um, but I'm constantly doing other stuff. Like, right now, I'm working on, like, a little solo project with Jesse from the Agolites and my and my daughter and my son. So you're just kind of constantly creating, and I guess it's just kind of like the balance in between if you're going to paint that day or if you're going to uh, do music or whatever, you know. And out of all of those, what do you think has given you the greatest satisfaction? Mm, I don't know. It's growing, like, musically. Like, this album has given me, like, a lot of, like, faith, kind of like where <clears throat> in the music industry it wasn't. I didn't really have it, like, with the first couple albums, you know, or the first or the second album. I, I kind of didn't. I was just kind of, like, growing to learn how to write music and how to like, you know, write a song and, and, you know, 
you know, be a part of a band that's like a big functioning machine. So I was very lucky to be a part of the Devil Shows in that time where it was a huge learning process for me to like, you know, where I, we, we wrote together and then like later on I wrote like um, DJs and parts of some other songs, but I, I never really <clears throat> blossomed into like a full complete songwriter. So I think this, this album is like, just shows like a little bit more of my, my writing skills, you know? No, I agree with you there. And, you know, I, going back before I, I started thinking about this interview, I went back and listened to everything and I kind of realized the difference between, you know, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars then and now, it seemed like your role back then, I mean, you had multiple singers in the band. Right, and it seems like a lot yeah. of the times, you know, you were your voice was being overdubbed with I can't remember what the guy's name was, Trailer Ross or something like Ross. that. With Ross, yeah. right? Yeah. And it seemed like you guys were kind of duetting on a lot of these songs, but with this new record, it seems to be your project. I mean, you, Marshall, uh, it's Tim and Jack, I believe, are the four original members yeah. that are still doing this. Were you ever yeah. worried about kind of getting back in, putting a record out with only your voice on it? Um. Well, the initial, we had planned to do the same formula that we always did. We were going to bring in um, some guests, you know, like we, we normally did. But <clears throat> the time frame that we had, we kind of just had to go with what we what we had on the table and what the songs that we had. So I think the next album will feature, you know, a lot, a, more, a little more different <clears throat> variants of style, like not just reggae, more like, you know, hip hop and maybe even bluegrass country, you know, because Marshall's really into that. Just different styles, because I think, these, like, when I wrote these songs, they were, like, kind of formatted, like, reggae style. Like, the, the songs that, the rough drafts that came in, they were all kind of, like, those are the styles that I picked. There were there were other, like, styles that were, like, kind of rocky, kind of, like, um, quirky, you know, stuff like that. But I just kind of gravitated straight towards the reggae style. Right. Well, I don't know. This this record, it's, I mean, again, I mean, I'm going to like kind of blush all over you, if you will, but I love the re the new <laughs> record. And like, you know, you look at the song like uh, All Gone Crazy, that's a different sound for you guys. And I think your vocal styles and just the way it's sang, I mean, that seems to be a really good progression in, in my opinion from what you've done in the past. And I'm just really, really loving it. So I, I can't wait I love that I just heard you said on our next record as if you guys are already saying, all right, there's going to be another one coming down the pipe. Is that something you are already talking about? Yeah, we're already like in pre-production for that, like <clears throat> going through different, all the writers, um, Ed, um, Roger, Marshall, Jack, and um, Devin. We're all submitting songs right now, strong structures and ideas. Do you think this would have happened so quickly if COVID didn't happen? Meaning, you know, you guys all have no one can tour right now, which is a crying shame for you. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Being that you put this record out and it seems to be uh, very well received, it's doing great from what I can tell. But now that you're all sort of sitting around going, all right, we can't tour, the natural step is either we're going to go do something else or we're going to create another record. Is that what the, the game plan is? Yeah, we're already, you know, in the works of talking about um, going in and practicing and uh, hopefully doing some like uh, webcasts and stuff in preparation for going in the studio and recording some new ideas and stuff. I want to go back to what we kind of talked about before is how you said you were kind of growing into being a songwriter. 
when this happened for you, and this is what, 1999 is when Right Back came out, and then maybe two years later was Wonders of the World. It sounds like you guys had about a three-year period where you were heavily uh, on tour, traveling the world, in front of audiences that probably knew a lot of the Sublime songs. I mean, I remember seeing you guys uh, at the Phoenix Underground in Seattle, this tiny little venue, actually pretty big for for Seattle band size, I guess, at that at that stage, but... You guys went from the two shows that I saw in Seattle were kind of the first was more of a club and then the next one was at the Moor, which is a massive theater. What's that like when you're in your, I'm guessing you're in your early 20s. I don't think you've had a lot of time on stage before. I mean, is that just the school of hard knocks for you to get comfortable performing like that? Yeah, you start to realize um, that, you know, alcohol really doesn't help, you know, and you gotta, you gotta save your voice. You can't be yelling and screaming. And once you're drinking, you know, obviously you're yelling and screaming and smoking. Obviously doesn't help either, you know. So you start to learn all these things that go along with like being a singer and you're starting to just go like, this sucks, you know, like I can't party. I can't, you know, smoke, <laughs> you know, and I, I didn't follow any of those rules. So. Right. I, I would lose my voice, and I tend to dr- I would tend to drink too much, you know, being nervous. Like in those situations where we're playing like a larger venue, you know, I I like to think that at the, by the end of you know when we were ending up those the end of the you know the LBDA the Long Beach of All Stars during that time, I was like really trying to grow as a performer. And, you know, some of the songs would morph into, like, their own different things, you know? Like, uh, we would do Fugazi totally different from the album because on the album it's just rap singing, you know, until the very end. And that's where I come in with, like, the kind of like the Bob Marley, the little Bob Marley cues or whatever. But Alive, that song goes into, like, me and him doing a call and response thing and then... uh, Sometimes it would morph into like a a fucking Eric Clapton uh, cream song. So you know, it's like when a song is written, it's just that's that's the initial idea. It's just written, you know. But when the song is played live, there's no really telling what can happen. You know, it can turn into a medley. It can turn into all everyone singing. You know, it's just like that's how, how the Dove All Stars kind of evolved into that and so i felt like i was i I felt really good in my position but when you know all the guys around you are kind of crumbling it's not you you feel great about yourself but you just feel like what am i doing here you know so that's when i kind of i kind of stepped down and and then the band kind of just disbanded and then dubcat was formed and then short bus was formed out of the Long Beach Dub All Stars, and it seems like Dubcat is pretty much it's you know for lack of better words, but it is Long Beach Dub All Stars at the same time. I mean, you've got the key players from Dubcat are in Long Beach Dub All Stars, and it seems like it's just you, you kind of converted back into Long, Long Beach. Is, is that accurate or no? Yeah, we just kind of we wanted a more refined version of Dub All Stars, so we had Eric during the the last leg of. Uh, the first Dub All-Stars, Eric had, like, stated that he didn't want to go on tour anymore, so we were all kind of cool with that, and then we had, 
talked to Dave Fuentes, and Dave Fuentes was going to be from Hepcat was going to be going on tour with us. Um, that didn't happen, but we kept in contact with Dave. And then when Dubcat was in the initial formation, Dave was our, you know, Dave was our man to play bass. So right. that's how Dubcat was like formed out of that. And then obviously Short Bus was like the other part of Long Beach Dub All Stars, Eric Rass and uh, Trey and some other dudes. I think Damian Ramirez played drums. Phenomenal drummer. If you had the opportunity, because, you know, look, I saw you guys, and by the way, I wanted to say that the first time I saw you guys, it was a great show, and the second time was even better. I mean, bringing Half Pine along, I mean, that guy could just, he could just put the crowd on their feet, and you guys were, by the, yeah. I think by the, by the end of the, you know, the three-year cycle, you guys had gotten pretty damn good at what you were doing on stage. At the first show, <laughs> at, at the Phoenix, I just remember, like, you know, that was a stage where when you guys played Santeria, it was just a fucking karaoke, right? You guys basically just played the song, oh, yeah. put the microphone, and everyone sang it. And, hell, it's probably yeah. still going to be like that when you get back on tour. But I remember when I saw it the first time, and I think Trey or Ross was playing uh, the guitar at the time, I don't think he could hit it, right? He couldn't. That, that's a complicated, like, guitar solo to play. It's an, not an easy song. But by the end of it, I remember watching him and specifically pointing out, oh, yeah, he's finally got it. You know, it took a long time to get there yeah. to be able to do it. But it seemed like you guys you guys are a solid-ass live band. And it took you I, – I don't think it was like – I think right off the bat you were there. It was more just you guys had a lot of partying, and the music just was always there. right? You had some seriously good players. So just a compliment for you, Opie. Just a compliment. Yeah, uh, thank you. Let's talk about what – you know, if you <laughs> – when you go on tour next time – what are you going to do differently? Like, have you have you got yourself into a regiment? Is there something that you do to keep the sanity while you're on tour? Yeah, there is. It's like, believe it or not, it's just like <clears throat> I eat. I eat good. I don't. If, I don't drink right now. But if I like when I was, we were on our last tour with uh, Agrolytes and uh, Tomorrow's Bad Seeds, Mike Pinto. Um, I had like a regiment of. I wouldn't drink so like half an hour, hour before I went on so I wouldn't be, you know, totally inebriated. I would only have, like, two drinks. So, I mean, and just eating well, having a good meal be that day before, you know, the show. Um, I'm vegetarian, so I tend to, like, watch everything that I eat. And um, just trying to be more conscious. When you put everything into perspective and you're, you're trying to, like, really all in on all these new songs that you've been writing with these guys and they're all in and we feel we felt really good about it and then the album got pushed back and stuff like that and there was some little trouble in japan and so we kind of just you just put everything in perspective like i said and then you just really want to do you want to do good and when when everything's firing you know like that you can feel it you know the vibes are there and it's like that's how we felt on that summer tour we felt like everything's firing you know and we all felt good and we were just trying to like push this album to a point where we were already playing it live you know and it wasn't even out yet so that's how we felt about it like there wasn't anything that was going to stop us from playing those songs live our, our management was like don't play the new songs and we're just like ah. <laughs> well you know, it's like we have to yeah, I've always felt like when an, I mean for the bands that I see, I love seeing it. I, I like 
watching them on stage performing a new song that I haven't heard because you know the band's excited to play it and they love seeing the audience reaction and you kind of as an artist get that feel of, oh yeah, this is going to work uh, or, oh, we got to change it up a little bit. But um, I don't see any reason why bands, I mean, look, it, I understand like you want to release songs and get sales out of them and management wants you to do that. But at the same time, like as an artist, once you create something, you want it out there for people to see and the best place to do it is in front of an audience. So good on you for doing that. Yeah, like they're, they're, I mean, I love our management. They're fucking our homies. Shout out to Hardline and Regime. Um, but their reasoning was kind of like, oh, someone's going to have it, YouTube it, you know, and they're going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. And in our minds, we're, I'm like that old musician where, like, you don't really leak this, you don't leak this, the OG, you know, but you play your shit live and, you know, it's not going to sound like the fucking studio. You yep. know what I mean? It's on a, first of all, it's on a shitty phone. It's going through, it's being processed, you know, and then it's, it's not going to sound like the studio. So they're just going to get like a little vibe of how, what the new, the new, obviously live, it's going to sound great, but like on the phone when they record it, it's not going to be that good, you know? And I went through and watched a lot of the videos and like, there's always, you know, when you play live, there's always the thing where the venue has some kind of quirky shit going on. So you're, you're not like at a hundred percent with your sound or something like that. Something's not working right. You know, it's just like the, the Murphy's law of, of music. Right. But, you know, they were like more worried about the, them, you know, the people not wanting to buy the album because they already heard it, you know, live. Which is that's not true. So I don't think it. I don't think it really worked against us. I think it worked for us when we played the. You know, some of the some of the new songs live, and it, it really got people into the vibe of like, oh shit, that song's a banger. Like, I want to hear that studio version. Yep. I think. So, uh, where do you think? I want to get into the little trouble in Japan, but I want to talk more about Long Beach Dub All Stars as sort of a touring and international act. Uh, you guys have been all around the world. Have you, what, what where haven't you played? Uh, uh, and outside of America, what is your favorite place to play? Okay. Um, Dub All Stars as the first um, run around. We went to Europe. We didn't go to Africa. We went to, okay, so we haven't been to China, we haven't been to Australia. We haven't been to like Spain or Africa or like Greenland um, or anywhere in like the islands like uh, Samoa or, you know, in that area of Thailand. Um, but as a new double stars, we've been just to uh, the U.S. and Japan and Canada. We had a tour that was lined up, but uh, when I got into that trouble in Japan, it canceled that European tour. So hopefully after this COVID, we can make that up yeah please uh, make that happen i'm freaking stuck in paris and there ain't no music coming around here <laughs> yeah. jesus yeah so I, under, I understand that there's like a more of a wanting now for the stuff that we do so yeah we're i mean we're fired up to tour um we're fired up to record new stuff so how many times have you been abroad? I mean, Japan, have you, from what I understand too, you guys are pretty big in Japan. Like you have a following over there that's bigger than other, you know, I guess international uh, places. Is that true? Um, yeah, we have like family there, you know, that we've since like, 
2000, we had family there that we met, and we just stayed in contact, and then we call them, you know, they're the the Japan skunk crew or one big family crew, um, and they love us, and we've been back, I've been back there like eight times. I took my, my younger brother, Filiano, he does music too. Um, me and Jack went back uh, one year, and... Um, so yeah, it's it, they they love us and we love them. They, we stay in contact. Like you know, I, I was I messaged Satoshi. That's uh that's our contact over there. And I was talking to him the other day. It's about um, some producer that uh, we had a photo with, like uh, an old photo that I posted, and I forgot his uh, name. So him and we were rapping. He has two boys now. Yeah. So our our you know, we're we're sick over there in Japan. Like we love it there. You know, I was talking to uh, one of the people on the podcast has been Jimmy Jazz from G Love and Special Sauce. Their bass player, he's a super cool dude. And we were talking about his experiences of traveling the world. And one of the things that he'd mentioned is when you go into Japan and you play, the audience is completely different than you know drunk American style, where everyone's just loud and obnoxious. And he said over there, when you play, everyone's watching. Uh, very attentive. Nobody's rude and talking to each other. Do you find that experience the same, or is it different for a Long Beach Dub All Star concert where the partiers come out from Japan? Um, they tend to sing like our songs a lot. You can hear it, like. But yeah, like uh, there's been a couple situations where, you know, when you end a song and um, normally like there's a bunch of banter and the crowd goes crazy or whatever. Like in Japan, they're just quiet. They're just waiting for the next song. You know, they're just like sitting there like, and even if they don't know the words, one thing I notice is they just sing. They sing whatever they think they're, you know, they're hearing, you know? When you're on stage and you're doing your thing, whether you're in Japan or you're anywhere, do you like it when the audience is singing along or is it a distraction or is it gratifying? No, it's it's really gratifying. Some uh, and, and so, in some situations, like they've like sang louder than me, and I've just been like, that is like a that is like a like overwhelming feeling of just like whoa. Yeah. You know, they just they just took over, and they were like singing like way louder than me. You know, like maybe the the acoustics in the venue was like a certain way, so it was just it was pulsing back in me. You know, the the intenseness of their their singing and let me ask you this are you longing for getting back on the road i mean this record is phenomenal i mean i think now i probably could sing the whole damn record for you if you ever need a <laughs> you need someone else i'm your man that's what everyone keeps saying they're like man i can't get that song out of my head and i don't know if that's a good thing but you know no it's a good thing man but my, i guess the point is like it, it must be somewhat disappointing to put all this time and effort into releasing this and then you know uh pandemic happens all around the world and you can't go out and sing it. Uh, but I, I'm guessing, look, I bet you the first time you jump it on stage, the audience is going to know every fucking, you know, lyric to the, your songs. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for you guys to, to get that acknowledgement. Yeah, I think my oven, uh, I don't mean to change subject, but I was working with Jesse from Agrilites, um on some new songs that he and I had. And um, working with my daughter Roxanne, she's helping out. She's a phenomenal singer and performer. And uh, he was Jesse was like co- like commenting commenting on my songwriting. He's like, 
he's like, you write like hooks. You just write like hooks. It's so weird. And then I gave him a song format, and he was like, oh, is it supposed to be this way? And I was like, well, that's how I write, you know? And he's like, oh, that's weird. Like, so this other guy writes like that. And I was like, ooh, who? You know, like, I was just wondering who it was. I mean, he just happened to tell me from someone that we both lead we both appreciate a lot, you know? So I was just like, Oh, that's weird. I don't, I didn't choose, I don't choose to write that way. That's just like my broken way of writing, you know? But I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm really stoked on these songs on the new album. And yeah, we, I feel it's just, we have to go out and play these songs, you know, to, to, to the end, you know, because people want to hear them. They're, that's all we get responses to. Like, it's like, are you coming out here? Are you going to be out here when this thing's over? You know, coming out here, you know? So I think it's like imperative that we get out and play these songs, like the whole album comes back, you know? Have you guys ever done that before? I know that's the thing with some bands that when they release a record, they'll go on tour and they'll literally do from front to back. They'll do the record and then kind of break into the greatest hits. Have you ever thought about that? Well, that's crazy that you mentioned that because I was just thinking of that and Devin, who had just joined us, uh, he's from the Expanders, phenomenal player and singer and writer. Um, he was mentioning that we should do that, like play just the album front to back and then go into some, you know, some of the other album hits, you know? Yeah, no, I, I like that idea a lot, especially because I, one of the things that I've always wondered is when artists release a record, the whole concept of releasing a record and touring some artists actually tour, like, they start the tour two weeks before the record gets dropped, then the record gets dropped, and then people are out there, you know, they're starting to, to know more of the songs beyond the singles. And I've always thought that was a weird concept of how to market a product. Um, whether or not the band knows how to play it live is a different argument, uh, and maybe they need time to work it out before everybody hears it. But I've always thought that, like, it'd be, it's almost better to release the record, put the songs out, and then tour on it once people have the ability to hear it, because then they're kind of, they're more in tune with the music and they're, you know, they want to hear it. They want to sing along. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know. You would, you would think that'd be like the Avenue, right? You know, but it's so weird in this day and age how, I mean, there's artists that just drop single, 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 you know, they don't even have a, I won't mention names, but I think this young artist had five singles and she won a Grammy. You know who I'm talking about? I don't, man. I don't. You know, if it's a pop star, I'm not following well, it. Well, it's, it's no, it's well deserved. She, uh, reggae artist, Coffee. So she she came out and she debuted. She had five singles, and then she won a Grammy off that. You know, so it just shows you what you know. She she didn't even have an album. So it's strange how the music. You know, I don't know how. If this, you would think that if you would you dropped it, you know, right before you went on tour, gave them a little bit of time to listen to it maybe pick your favorite songs it would help you out you know but in this day and age i don't know you know you gotta you gotta do something super phenomenal or have like some crazy phenomenal quirky video you know or or some crazy marketing plan or something what happened though just writing a good song well yeah no i agree with you there but i've always thought that nowadays i mean look do bands actually make money off sales of records? You know, unless you're, you know, uber famous, probably. But um, it's more about the touring and the merchandise is kind of what I thought. Like, yeah, that's, that's all it is. Right? And that's the reason why, you know, I, I don't like listening to music if they can't play it fucking live. 
there's no point, right? There's just I, I can't stand yeah. it. I can't stand artists that record something but they can't get on stage and actually either perform, play it uh, live, or make it sound good. Uh, you know, I'm just not I'm not in. But that's a whole other conversation. You guys did kind of test yeah. the waters with singles though, because you did release what two years ago. You kind of put out the uh, the single "Holding Out." Yeah, we were trying to just just basically like throw a, a hook out there and be like, "Hey, we're back," you know. There was two other songs that we did previously in the very beginning when we were using the moniker LBDA, and we couldn't, we couldn't like come to an agreement on the mixes. So those got just put out as OPRTs, but actually those are LBDA, and those ones are one's a cover. It's called Hooligans, and the other one is uh, Don't Get Me Down. We, we haven't. We just got uh, confirmation from. Um, Miguel, so we might revisit those two as like just as something on the on a different you know a single or something like that. I'm not going to let you off the hook without talking about your incident in Japan. Uh, and I, you know, I've I've heard you got stuck in the clink. You were there for a couple of weeks. Sounds like it didn't do good things for the tour. But what I was more consider, what I was thinking as a married man with kids. Why? <laughs> how do you get away with that one with your wife and you? You know, what do you explain it to? How, how did you spin that um, one, right? Well, we have a pretty strong relationship, so I mean, obviously, I was, I was like, you know, I was determining that it was going to go for the worst, so I was starting to prepare her for a lot of stuff, and she wasn't having it, so she kind of just put in her mind that on this one date that I was going to be let out. And I don't know, like I started to believe like positive affirmation, like you have a lot of people, you know, praying or thinking about one thing. It helps out, you know? Um, but it was just a, a mishap on my end that happened. And, you know, I, I I had to pay the price for it. The band was upset with me, you know. Um, I'm still kind of mending that with them, you know. I got to be good and shine instead of I can get in trouble on their behalf, you know. Um, but, yeah, my wife was stressed and my kids were kind of stressed. But they kind of all had, they told me, they were like, oh, I knew you were going to be home. Like, and it was weird on the la like the last day that I was there. There was weird things happening. I didn't know if I was like, like kind of tripping out or. But like I heard my dog inside the jail. Damn. And then I said to my and then I said to myself, "Oh, what's next? I'm going to see my son." And then I saw my son and his face inside the jail. So I was just like I was having these like really strange like not, i don't know if they were hallucinations or what they were but a little bit like about 15 20 minutes after that they came and we just let me out dropped all charges holy shit you got you feel like you got lucky there or is it just uh yeah yeah i got extremely lucky yeah that, hey man there's nothing wrong with luck man i'd rather be lucky than smart <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i mean 23 days though that's I might not consider that. I mean, seven thousand dollars and uh, twenty-three days in jail. You know. No, I consider that a, a long amount of time, and I can't imagine like what you went through. So the fact that it, you got out of there and you're you're you're, you're it's like psychological. 
Oh, I bet. I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you explored talking to a therapist about this afterwards, man. Oh, I've been through worse. So, you know, what's weird is they're, they're super draconian. They're just like super old and their laws, their hemp laws like from 1968. So that shows you what, how, what we're dealing with. And they, in the jail, so as you go in as a foreigner, they tell you right when you get in there, they say, I mean, I love Japanese people they, and their culture. They, they tried to make me hate, hate Japanese. They really did, the guards. So what they do, they, they tell you right in the very beginning, they say, okay, you don't speak, uh, what are you, uh, American? Okay, you speak Japanese now. And then they're, they tell you, basically they're just like, you can't do anything. You're just sitting in the cell and you can't do nothing. You can get books and stuff like that, um, like other stuff, you know, like normal shit, but there's no music, there's no TV. You eat and either read and or just sit there. They yell at you like if you if you don't follow the rules, they start this yelling and humiliation kind of deal where like you don't know what they're talking about, so they're just going to yell at you and humiliate you. Would you call this the worst experience in your life? Uh, no, because I've been to, I've been to jail here. Ah, <laughs> okay. And, I mean, when the guards are like, you know, sending other people to, you know, when the guards are like sending other people to, you know, compromise other people, that's not right, you know. So, uh, that's you prefer American people. jail over Japanese jail? Uh, I, pr- I prefer no jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, totally. Yeah, I, I saw an interview with you kind of doing my YouTube research and I'm surprised you're so comfortable talking about it. And you probably set yourself up for this because it happened and you being in your position kind of have to do this interview thing. But is there ever a point where you're going to be like, you know, let's just not talk about that. That's in the past. Mm. Nah, I think uh, some people haven't heard the story. You know, it's like, I don't mind talking about it. It's like, uh, it's a part of, feeling for it you know it's like it is the past and i'm not dead and nothing happened you know we missed a tour in europe you know we, but as you know like touring europe isn't going to make you you know super rich or anything it's going to build your it's going to build your your character as a band you know it's going to build your your sales i believe a bit but you know we weren't going to make that much money on that tour and I don't know. I, I can't be negative about it. Like we could have made, you know, done a lot of positive stuff, but it didn't happen. So I'm not going to sit here and be negative yeah. or be like, eh, 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 whatever, you know, whatever. I, I go with the flow in life and that happened to be the little bump in the road. Any advice for touring artists that are traveling international? Yeah. Just, just don't, don't, don't have it on you or don't have it near you, you know, that easy. Huh? Pretty simple. Yeah. I just got too comfortable, and I think someone had given it to me and then put it in my bag, and I really didn't think about it and was walking down the street, and that's when it happened. Yeah, it sounds... Uh, I, I can't imagine getting thrown in an international jail. It just isn't some place that I ever want to be. I have been in jail once, but it was in 1996. I was thrown in a temporary jail like at gunpoint, and I was on a Eurail train trying to go through what used to be Yugoslavia, and they pulled me off. But that's the only real time in my life that I've been in the clink. But that was only for like an hour. 
But I have had a gun pointed oh, wow. in my face and sent into a jail and stuck in with a bunch of Serbians. But that's about as far as my my jail experience. So 23 days seems way worse. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I'm vegetarian too, and so all they fed you, all they fed me was like spinach and pumpkin. And like after a while, it's just like, dude, pumpkin, yeah. really, bro? <laughs> yeah. And the, and the other guys, that my other like fellies, were laughing. You know, they're just like, ha ha. They're like, they were la- looking at all my tattoos, and they're like, oh, you should do your next tattoo. Could you be a pumpkin? Ha ha ha. <laughs> oh God, that that's sounds horrible. Temper. That's how I actually had like two dudes in there that were one was older, and he was like, I called him. What did I call him? Uh, he was like the master, you know, his sensei. That's what I called him, sensei. And then there was a younger dude that was luckily he spoke really good English. He went to like Fullerton College and studied architecture, and he was like fully hip. And he was in there, I think, for the same shit. He had he owned a bar, and the cops came in, and there was like a little remnants of some like herb. He said it wasn't herb, but like he couldn't tell. Like you don't know what your clients are doing, you know, in a bar. But it was like a little piece of herb or something on his bar, and they arrested eight people and him. Holy shit! Yeah, over like less than a gram. That's insane. And he was still he he was still there when I was. I got let out. I still con- I still talk to him. He's doing great. I would have probably done way worse if he wasn't there, you know, to help me, to talk me and, you know, help me get books and help me, you know, do, like... Stay calm. Know what to say to the... Yeah, stay calm. And, and he was actually telling me the wrong thing to do, but I just, I knew, I knew in my mind what I was going to do. Crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. I'm sorry you had to go through that, man. That sounds like shit. That's a learning experience. <laughs> Everybody's got to learn the hard way. Uh, yeah. How long have you been a vegetarian for? Oh, I think it's almost two years now. What was the uh, What was the reason for that? Um, just wasn't feeling good eating eating like you know hamburgers and steak and all that stuff. I think I initially quit eating red meat, and I was just doing chicken and stuff, and then I just got fed up with it and went to, like, just, like, pescatarian. Yep. And then, and I guess I'm pescatarian now, because I still eat, like, a little, I mean, I have shrimp once in a while, or ceviche. But that's about it for, I'm just, like, otherwise than that, just, like, veggies and grains. Well, I think this, I mean, I've done it before. I went, I went, like, a year... Um, when I was younger, and then probably about two years ago, I tried to do the vegan thing and went about seven months. Um, but this is the longest I've gone, just, you know, no meat, no fucking... I mean, I have eggs, and I have a little bit of butter. That's about it. And if I, if my lady doesn't buy me my uh, almond, my almond uh, creamer, I'll throw a little bit of some fucking non-milk or whatever the fuck it is in there. Lactose-free, perhaps? Yeah, my son has that. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know what it is, too? It's like I have two boys and a daughter, and and my choices are affecting, you know, them. So I try not to be like, oh, you have to do this, you have to do that. But you know what? I notice my son, he'll, he'll order, you know, 
he'll order not meat, you know. He'll make that choice to be, I don't want that this time, you know. So kind of like indirectly affecting, you know, him in a certain way, which is, I think is good. He, he's like thinking about his meals, you know. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, we've got the don't same thing going wrong. on here. I mean, don't my get me wrong, he'll chomp down a hamburger. Sure. You know? Now, my son got diagnosed with this really weird thing when he was young called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which basically means there's a ton of food out there that uh, will inflame his lower intestine. It took us years to resolve it, but we finally got to a, a naturopath in, uh, <clears throat> in Seattle and just changed the diet of the entire family. And it took us about two years till he could get back to eating whatever he wanted. But then when you start really looking into it and you realize that sugar is in every freaking product or there's a lot of things that you could remove that would be better. And more importantly, I think as a parent, I think you're right. You have to set an example. But it's more that if you're a good parent and you just put vegetables, they'll eat it, right? If you if you feed them shit, they're going to eat the shit and they're going to want more of it. But if you just give them that and you give them no other options, they're going to slowly grow into being healthier people and making better choices. So, you know, good on you for making that change. Yeah, when I was young, my mom never asked what I wanted to eat. You know what I mean? You know, I grew up on beans and rice and broccoli and meat and shit, but she would have me eat liver when I was young. Yuck. She'd make me liver, and I would just be like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> you eat this? Yeah, I know. I know. My mom used to make lamb. and luckily, they. Luckily, I had a pit bull, you know, so I just... <laughs> <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be gone in a gulp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, my mom used to make, uh, what's that stuff called? It was like a manwich. Like, you know, it was like ground beef with like hamburger helper or whatever. I don't know. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the most horrific thing in the world. Sloppy she, Joe. Sloppy Joe's. That's it. Exactly, man. Yeah. But then she used to also make, uh, she'd do like a lamb, a leg of lamb, but it had like this green mint jelly and it was always like her fancy meal. But to me, it was like the oh, most wow. disgusting thing I can ever eat. I mean, it was like peppermint jelly on roasted lamb. Is it like Greek or something? Dude, it was just bad Bay Area cooking is what it was. I don't know what it was. Oh, it was wow. like it was something from the late 70s that went around the cul-de-sac. And I look back at that as like, how could you have ever given that to me? But again, I mean, back then also, yeah. I think like parents, did, that was like when McDonald's was happening. That's when food was getting mass produced. And it's like they yeah. just didn't fucking know. Right. They were just trying to get through the day because their kids are running around driving them crazy and they're just trying to put another meal. And, you know, we've grown in to be a little bit more uh, conscious about the effects of our health and the food that we put in our body, um, yeah. which, I mean, everyone knows. I mean, anyone out there that hasn't tried to go vegetarian or just taken do a raw diet for a week and see how much different you feel. Don't drink alcohol every day, which I fail yeah. on miserably. <laughs> but what are you going to do? In this time, too, like in the this pandemic, like alcohol has just become, you know, people have become professional fucking alcoholics. So I had to just curb it and chill. And you know what happened? I became so focusedly driven by painting and tattooing and everything else that it's just like, I don't, I really don't want to go back to drinking, you know? I don't want to be, I want to keep my chakra up high, you know? Until you tour. <laughs> you think you'll be able to, when you get back on tour, you think you'll be able to go, have you ever tried to do a tour without having a, a drink of alcohol? Do you think that would even be possible? Yeah, yeah. yeah I did it with uh, Dubcat. We did uh, a couple tours. Really? I went like 10, I went 10 years without drinking. Oh man, good on you. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then, uh, so we did a couple tours and I didn't drink, um, but 
Uh, I think the beginning of the dub ulcer, the LVDA, was uh, I wasn't drinking also. So like all the guys, just they loved having me around because I was just like even kill, you know. And then they saw me drinking and they were just like, uh oh. Yeah, but I, in my old age, I tend to just mellow out, you know. Just I don't, I'm not wiling out, you know, like I used to be. Hey, listen, I want to uh, kind of end this on what a productive year you've had. I mean, you've released the Long Beach Dub All Stars record. It's fan fucking tastic. You've got a single out with oh, um, for Bradley House. No, no, no. We'll get to the Bradley House. But what's the name of the song? It's a hurling dub featuring OPRTs. Don't get me down. Oh yeah, yeah. My my friends, uh, hurling dub. They were wanting to do some work together, and um, I just in this time we were just kind of like emailing back and forth, and they wanted to redo that song, so we just redid it. Just just as like homage to them. Like I, I didn't get a chance to work with them, and I've been telling them that I I would do some stuff with them, so. We just did that one. They, they have a song with Toko Tati, who recently passed, and I'm gonna. Um, I think I might try to get on that one if time permits. Too. Again, that that's one of the uh, on your SoundCloud Opisan. That's you've got two versions of that out now. You've got the the one on SoundCloud, and then you've got the one with uh, Hurling Dub. Yeah, yeah. And then you've that's also. Yeah, and then you've got. Uh, you guys just redid for the um, the house that Bradley built. You. Did sort of an acoustic laid-back version of Little District, and I think mm-hmm. the pre-orders are just up, so you can buy that on vinyl or wherever digital outlet that you uh, you buy music from. It seems like you've been really freaking busy, man. This, the house that Bradley built. Can you tell anyone who listens to this what it is and why it's important? Why they should why they should go out immediately and buy this? Um, what what it does is it uh, initiates help for musicians that are. Uh... In the, in the grips of uh, opiates. So if you're a musician and you're struggling with, you know, opiate addiction, um, you should uh, look them up and see if they can help you out in your situation because that's what they do. And if I'm right, this yeah, is, like a, is this being done by Bradley's uh, wife? Well, it's in conjunction with the, with the Noel Foundation. Okay. Which is Brad's uh, father. And when you recorded the song, was that part of the... Did you know you were going to be recording that for a long time? Was that part of the recording process for the record? Or did you guys go back into the studio and do that completely at a different time? Yeah, I think it was just done uh, separately. Like, Devin recorded the the guitars, and then I did the vocal, and then Marshall did uh, all the percussion. So it was kind of like just we did it in separate times. Well, what's next then? Like, what, what's? It sounds like you've got a, a ton on your plate, but what's going to be the next thing? Finishing up these songs I'm doing with Jesse, going to do some artwork for them. It's just going to be like, I don't even know what we're going to call it yet. Um, and then I have some, we have some pre-production ideas that we're going through with uh, Dove All-Stars. And just basically painting, it's like my meditation, um, tattooing, hanging out with my kids. I'm getting ready to go on a little vacation that you go every year up to uh, Bass Lake kind of just reset the battery and everything it's going to be my my daughter's uh, 18th birthday so celebration up there by the lake I think like 17 people are going and then I'm just like constantly like like earlier I was just kind of like 
going over song ideas and painting ideas and stuff like that. Like, I kind of just wake up and say, oh, I'm painting today, you know, that's on the agenda. I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to do this podcast. I'm clearly a huge fan of your work. I'm so impressed with the new record, and I really can't wait to see you guys play this live. So as quickly you, as you can, you. please get your ass on the road, and no matter where you are, yeah. I'll figure out a way to see you. Uh, because, man, we waited a shit long time for this record, and I had yeah. no idea that this was going to happen. Like, you know, when you guys announced you were even putting a single out, I was so stoked. But to hear the final product, I mean, you guys should be incredibly proud of what you put out, because this is a phenomenal record. And Well, they put they put all that hype on it, too. They were like, oh, the most anticipated album. And then we came late with it, kind of, you know? So it was like, I don't know. I wasn't really worried about that but to put that on like something that's not even out yet like that's pretty heavy you know <laughs> yeah hey but you lived up to it yeah, i think right yeah i'm glad everyone likes it and thank you for your compliments it's really it's really nice thank you is there any questions i forgot to ask you man um well i, th I don't think i answered i finished answering the um where we we liked it to go as, like, oh yeah correct part. yeah i i think like everybody's going to have their own kind of like, you know, special time that they had. Um, but I specifically remember being in Italy and like swimming in the Dead Sea, um, trying to surf in Japan was cool. Um, oh, we rode, uh, we rode, uh, what the fuck, snowmobiles on the Great Divide. Yeah, that was pretty gnarly. And we've like we've gone to Hawaii and done some crazy stuff, surfed, and I mean, there's been multiple epic, you know, trips. I just we 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 want to do more, you know, we want to make more more memories. Do you actually get? Because most of the bands that I talk to, they're sort of like it's a grind. We're just trying to get through it. But do you guys try to find stuff to do outside so you actually get to see a city? You get to do some excursion. Like, yeah. or, or is this just like you get lucky and you've got a promoter that's like, I really like you guys. Let's go snowmobiling. Um, yeah, there are certain situations where that, that happens, you know, or they're like, hey, the homie, you know, works the ski lift, or you know what I mean? Like, there was one time when we went and played, we were in North Carolina, and we played this place called Ziggy's, it's pretty famous, it's like a little tiny spot, and right next door to it was a, like a porn emporium, like a sex shop, and the, guy, the guys knew who, obviously, who Eric and Brad were. So they let them go in and like take whatever they want. So, <laughs> Free porn emporium for knowing them. Yeah, I was just like, cool. Yeah, I'll take yeah, 18 dildos, like, please. <laughs> we're going to Europe. Like, you got a bunch of weird shit in your fucking suitcase. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Hey, what about this? Yeah. You know, I, I I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, tour writers. Like, do you guys actually have a tour writer? And do you guys, when you show up at a venue... Do artists actually look and check the boxes? Like, no, no, no. We said we want a prosecco, not this shit Italian wine. Oh hell yeah! Really? That's part of the that's part of the deal. Like that's it's like contract. You know what I mean? Yep. So when you hear that story about the fucking brown M and M's or whatever, right? That's true. That's true. You know. So what do, what do you guys? You, what do you want though? Like what what's backstage, writers? man? What do you need back there? On to, our writers? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's either. Multiple cases of Mexican beer, or they're like we're on an off day, it's like some other kind of beer mixed in. Um, usually McDuck, 
Zico, um, Heineken, you know, it could be anything, but there's Clamato, um, lemons for micheladas. There's like a, a meat tray, a cheese tray, a fruit tray, and then there's like water, sodas. Um, I think that's about it. Tea. Have you ever thrown in something just to fuck with them? Yeah, we were throwing in avocados and uh, we were throwing in, I think our manager had them throwing in like Starbucks little coffees and Red Bulls. That doesn't seem so unattainable. Avocados and Starbucks doesn't seem like you're fucking with anybody. Well, we love avocados, me and Devin and and Raj. So, I mean, when you have like a sandwich and you're just eating cheese, like avocado after a little bit of, you know, what do they call it? Omega fatties or whatever that you need. You have promoters that are like willing to go out of their way and like we'll go to a venue and this is just to name one time where it was an outdoor venue I think up north by the lakes. It was kind of like early in the day and we were the lady was doing all our rider shit and then she was totally done. We had everything we needed right and then she was like, oh, do you guys need anything else? I'm gonna run into the city or to the liquor store to get something, you know. And we're like, uh, yeah, we need a bottle of Jaeger and, uh, you know, so, and then she totally, she got it to us for free and like put it on the writer and we're just like, oh, wow. You know, like there's, there's, there's some promoters and like the people that take care of you that are just, they just go out of their way to help you out. So have you guys ever had yeah. showing up at a gig where you didn't have your, your, your shit in your tour writer and then you were just like, what the fuck? Oh yeah. I've lost it on, on the whatever concierge or whatever the fuck they call them. And it was like, we had already been partying a little bit. It was in Ventura. I don't want to name the place, but we were, it's a place we played many, multiple times, a nice venue. And, um, the runner, the lady, we were there for like, I want to say like about an hour, hour and a half, had done sound check, hadn't even brought any water upstairs, let alone beer. So when she came in, I just read her the fucking riot act right in front of everybody. <laughs> Bet you that went over well. Oh no, it was cool. She, we had like a, we, there's money set aside for all that shit, for the food, the bread, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot that goes into it, like a, you know, little salsas, chips, you know, that shit's all on the writer too, you know, and all, all that shit costs money, you know? Well, man, I, I wish I was in that position. I wish someone, I wish I could put a, fucking tour writer together and I'd just hand it to my family and be like, all right guys, here's what I need every day. Kids do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. When it comes down to it, like if they're, if they've done the right promotion, they're going to make, you know, double, triple over what they're paying, you know, what is, uh, I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts on like getting back on tour though? I mean, do you guys have any indication of when it's happening or is it just sort of like you're sitting around going like we, we don't know. Is this 2021 winter? Think we're, we're think, yeah. 2021. I think we're waiting for everyone else to set it in motion and stuff like that, and just this health thing to like, you know, someone to nip it in the bud. You know, I think we're almost we're pretty close. All right, 
that is the end of another episode of the Traveling Entertainer Podcast. A million thanks to Opie for being on the program, and I can't wait for the Long Beach Dub All-Stars to get back on the road and play those tunes live. If you haven't bought the Long Beach Dub All-Stars new record yet, I'm just going to call it like it is and say you're a fucking idiot, so go buy it now. If you have any questions or comments, drop us a line at info at travelingentertainer.com, yes, with two L's. And if you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, pretty much everywhere podcasts are hosted, or you can stream it on the website at www.travelingentertainer.com. All right, everybody, that is enough gibberish out of me. I hope everyone's wearing a mask, taking care of themselves, and safe travels if you have to. And it's true, no matter where you're from, get those streets is where the music comes from. Nobody wanna talk about what's going on. The times have changed, the youth are struggling. Let's be honest, you gotta give your all. Stand up in the sun right now, hold your head up high. With bullets blazing, it's time for changing. Like it's one